Chapter Forty Five of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Forty Five. Cap captivates a craven. He knew himself a villain, but he deemed the rest no better than the thing he seemed, and scorned the best as hypocrites who hid those deeds the bolder spirits plainly did. He knew himself detested, but he knew. The hearts that loathed him crouched and dreaded too. The unregenerate human heart is perhaps the most inconsistent thing in all nature, and in nothing is it more capricious than in the manifestations of its passions, and in no passion is it so fantastic as in that which it miscalls love, but which is really often only appetite. From the earliest days of manhood, Craven Lenore had been the votary of vice, which he called pleasure. Before reaching the age of twenty-five, he had run the full course of dissipation, and found himself ruined in health, degraded in character, and disgusted with life. Yet in all this experience, his heart had not been once agitated with a single emotion that deserved the name passion. It was colder than the coldest. He had not loved Clara, though for the sake of her money he had courted her so assiduously. Indeed, for the doctor's orphan girl, he had from the first conceived a strong antipathy. His evil spirit had shrunk from her pure soul, with a loathing a fiend might feel for an angel. He had found it repugnant and difficult, almost to the extent of impossibility, for him to pursue the courtship, to which he was only reconciled by a sense of duty, to his pocket. It was reserved for his meeting with Capitola at the altar of the forest chapel to fire his clammy heart, stagnant blood, and sated senses with the very first passion that he had ever known. Her image, as she stood there at the altar, with flashing eyes and flaming cheeks and scathing tongue defying him, was ever before his mind's eye. There was something about that girl so spirited, so piquant and original, that she impressed even his apathetic nature— as no other woman had ever been able to do. But what most of all attracted him to Capitola was her diablerie. He longed to catch that little savage to his bosom, and have her at his mercy. The aversion she had exhibited toward him only stimulated his passion. Craven Lenore, among his other graces, was gifted with inordinate vanity. He did not in the least degree despair of overcoming all Capitola's dislike to his person, and inspiring her with a passion equal to his own. He knew well that he dared not present himself at Hurricane Hall, but he resolved to waylay her in her rides, and there to press his suit. To this he was urged by another motive, almost as strong as love, namely, avarice. He had gathered thus much from his father, that Capitola Black was supposed to be Capitola Lenore, the rightful heiress of all that vast property in land, houses, iron, and coal-mines, foundries and furnaces, railway-shares, etc., and bank-stocks, from which his father drew the princely revenue that supported them both in their lavish extravagance of living. As the heiress, or rather the rightful owner, of all this vast fortune, capital was a much greater catch than poor Clara, with her modest estate, had been and Mr. Craven Lenore was quite willing to turn the tables on his father by running off with the great heiress, and step up from his irksome position of dependent upon Colonel Lenore's often ungracious bounty, to that of the husband of the heiress, and the master of the property. Added to that was another favorable circumstance. Namely, whereas he had had a strong personal antipathy to Clara, he had as strong an attraction to Capitola, 
which would make his course of courtship all the pleasanter. In one word, he resolved to woo, win, and elope with, or forcibly abduct, Capitola Lenore, marry her, and then turn upon his father, and claim the fortune in right of his wife. The absence of Colonel Lenore in Mexico favored his projects, as he could not fear interruption. Meanwhile, our little madcap remained quite unconscious of the honors designed her. She had cried every day of the first week of Herbert's absence, every alternate day of the second, twice in the third, once in the fourth, not at all in the fifth, and the sixth week she was quite herself again, as full of fun and frolic, and as ready for any mischief or deviltry that might turn up. She resumed her rides, no longer followed by wool, because old Hurricane, partly upon account of his misadventure in having had the misfortune inadvertently to lose sight of his mistress, upon that memorable occasion of the metamorphosis of Cap into Clara, and partly because of the distant absence of Lenore, did not consider his favorite in danger. He little knew that a subtle and unscrupulous agent had been left sworn to her destruction, and that another individual, almost equally dangerous, had registered a secret vow to run off with her. Neither did poor Cap, when rejoicing to be free from the dogging attendance of Wool, imagine the perils to which she was exposed. Nor is it even likely that if she had she would have cared for them in any other manner than as promising piquant adventures. From childhood she had been inured to danger, and had never suffered harm. Therefore Cap, like the Chevalier Bayard, was without fear and without reproach. Craven Lenore proceeded cautiously with his plans, knowing that there was time enough, and that all might be lost by haste. He did not wish to alarm Capitola. The first time he took occasion to meet her in her rides, he merely bowed deeply, even to the flaps of his saddle, and, with a melancholy smile, passed on. Miserable wretch, he is a mean fellow to want to marry a girl against her will, no matter how much he might have been in love with her, and I am very glad I balked him. Still, he looks so ill and unhappy that I can't help pitying him, said Cap, looking compassionately at his white cheeks and languishing eyes, and little knowing that the illness was the effect of dissipation, and that the melancholy was assumed for the occasion. A few days after this, Cap again met Craven Lenore who again, with a deep bow and sad smile, passed her. Poor fellow, he richly deserves to suffer, and I hope it may make him better, for I am right down sorry for him. It must be so dreadful to lose one we love. But it was too base in him to let his father try to compel her to have him. Suppose now, Herbert Grayson was to take a fancy to another girl, would I let Uncle go to him, and put a pistol to his head, and say, Cap is fond of you, you varlet, and, Demi, sir, you shall marry none but her, or receive an ounce of lead in your stupid brains. No, I'd scorn it. I'd forward the other wedding. I'd make the cake and dress the bride, and then maybe I'd break. No, I'm blamed if I would. I'd not break my heart for anybody. Set them up with it, indeed. Neither would my dear, darling, sweet, precious Herbert treat me so, and I'm a wretch to think it, said Cap, with a rich, inimitable unction, as, rejoicing in her own happy love, she cheered Jip and rode on. Now Craven Lenore had been conscious of the relenting and compassionate looks of Capitola, but he did not know that they were only the pitying regards of a noble and victorious nature over a vanquished and suffering wrongdoer. However, he still determined to be cautious, and not ruin his prospects by precipitate action, but to hasten slowly. 
So the next time he met Capitola, he raised his eyes with one deep, sad, appealing gaze to hers, and then, bowing profoundly, passed on. "'Poor man,' said Cap to herself, "'he bears no malice toward me for depriving him of his sweetheart, that's certain. And, badly as he behaved, I suppose it was all for love, for I don't know how any one could live in the same house with Clara and not be in love with her. I should have been so myself, if I'd been a man, I know.' The next time Cap met Craven, and saw again that deep, sorrowful, appealing gaze as he bowed and passed her, she glanced after him, saying to herself, "'Poor soul! I wonder what he means by looking at me in that piteous manner. I can do nothing to relieve him. I'm sure if I could, I would. But the way of the transgressor is hard, Mr. Lenor, and he who sins must suffer.' For about three weeks their seemingly accidental meetings continued in this silent manner. So slowly did Craven make his advances. Then, feeling more confidence, he made a considerable long step forward. One day, when he guessed that Capitola would be out, instead of meeting her as heretofore, he put himself in her road, and, riding slowly toward a five-barred gate, allowed her to overtake him. He opened the gate, and bowing, held it open until she had passed. She bowed her thanks and rode on. But presently, without the least appearance of intruding, since she had overtaken him, he was at her side, and speaking with downcast eyes and deferential manner, he said, "'I have long desired an opportunity to express the deep sorrow and mortification I feel for having been hurried into rudeness toward an estimable young lady at the Forest Chapel. Miss Black, will you permit me now to assure you of my profound repentance of that act, and to implore your pardon?' "'Oh, I have nothing against you, Mr. Lenore. It was not I whom you were intending to marry against my will.' and as for what you said and did to me, ha, ha, I had provoked it, you know, and I also afterward paid it in kind. It was a fair fight, in which I was the victor. And victors should never be vindictive, said Cap, laughing, for though knowing him to have been violent and unjust, she did not suspect him of being treacherous and deceitful, or imagine the base designs concealed beneath his plausible manner. Her brave, honest nature could understand a brute or a despo, but not a traitor." Then, like frank enemies who have fought their fight out, yet bear no malice toward each other, we may shake hands and be friends, I hope, said Craven, replying in the same spirit in which she had spoken. Well, I don't know about that, Mr. Lenore. Friendship is a very sacred thing, and its name should not be lightly taken on our tongues. I hope you will excuse me if I decline your proffer, said Cap, who had a well of deep, true, earnest feeling beneath her effervescent surface. "'What? You will not even grant a repentant man your friendship, Miss Black?' asked Craven, with a sorrowful smile. "'I wish you well, Mr. Lenore. I wish you a good, and therefore a happy life. But I cannot give you friendship, for that means a great deal. Oh, I see how it is. You cannot give your friendship where you cannot give your esteem. Is it not so?' "'Yes,' said Capitola. "'That is it. Yet I wish you so well that I wish you might grow worthy of higher esteem than mine.' You are thinking of my—yes, I will not shrink from characterizing that conduct as it deserves—my unpardonable violence toward Clara. Miss Black, I have mourned that sin from the day that I was hurried into it until this. I have bewailed it from the very bottom of my heart, said Craven, earnestly, fixing his eyes with an expression of perfect truthfulness upon those of Capitola. I am glad to hear you say so, said Cap. Miss Black, please hear this in palliation— I would not presume to say in defense of my conduct. 
I was driven to frenzy by a passion of contending love and jealousy, as violent and maddening as it was unreal and transient. But that delusive passion has subsided, and among the unmerited mercies for which I have to be thankful, is that, in my frantic pursuit of Clara Day, I was not cursed with success. For all the violence into which that frenzy hurried me, I have deeply repented. I can never forgive myself. But cannot you forgive me? Mr. Lenor, I have nothing for which to forgive you. I am glad that you have repented toward Clara, and I wish you well. And that is really all that I can say. I have deserved this, and I accept it, said Craven, in a tone so mournful that Capitola, in spite of all her instincts, could not choose but pity him. He rode on, with his pale face, downcast eyes, and melancholy expression, until they reached a point at the back of Hurricane Hall, where their paths diverged. Here Craven, lifting his hat and bowing profoundly, said in a sad tone, "'Good evening, Miss Black,' and, turning his horse's head, took the path leading down into the hidden hollow. "'Poor young fellow, he must be very unhappy down in that miserable place, but I can't help it. I wish he would go to Mexico with the rest,' said Cap, as she pursued her way homeward. Not to excite her suspicion, Craven Lenore avoided meeting Capitola for a few days, and then threw himself into her road, and, as before, allowed her to overtake him. Very subtly he entered into conversation with her, and, guarding every word and look, took care to interest without alarming her. He said no more of friendship, but a great deal of regret for wasted years and wasted talents, in the past and good resolutions for the future. And Cap listened good-humouredly. Capitola— being of a brave, hard, firm nature, had not the sensitive perceptions, fine intuitions, and true insight into character that distinguished the more refined nature of Clara Day. Or, at least, she had not these delicate faculties in the same perfection. Thus her undefined suspicions of craven sincerity were overborne by a sort of noble benevolence which determined her to think the best of him which circumstances would permit. Craven, on his part, having had more experience, was much wiser in the pursuit of his object. He also had the advantage of being in earnest. His passion for Capitola was sincere, and not, as it had been in the case of Clara, simulated. He believed, therefore, that when the time should be ripe for the declaration of his love, he would have a much better prospect of success, especially as Capitola, in her ignorance of her own great fortune— must consider his proposal the very climax of disinterestedness. After three weeks more of riding and conversing with Capitola, he had, in his own estimation, advanced so far in her good opinion as to make it perfectly safe to risk a declaration, and this he determined to do upon the very first opportunity. Chance favored him. One afternoon, Capitola, riding through the pleasant woods skirting the back of the mountain range that sheltered Hurricane Hall, got a fall— for which she was afterwards inclined to cuff wool. It happened in this way. She had come to a steep rise in the road, and urged her pony into a hard gallop, intending, as she said to herself, to storm the height, when suddenly, under the violent strain, the girth, ill-fastened, flew apart, and Miss Cap was on the ground, buried under the fallen saddle. With many a blessing upon the carelessness of grooms, Cap picked herself up, put the saddle on the horse, and was engaged in drawing under the girth when Craven Lenore rode up, sprang from his horse, with anxiety depicted on his conscience, ran to the spot, inquiring, "'What is the matter? No serious accident, I hope and trust, Miss Black.' 
No, those wretches in Uncle's stables did not half-buckle the girth, and as I was going in a hard gallop up the steep, it flew apart and gave me a tumble. That's all, said Cap, desisting a moment from her occupation to take a breath. You were not hurt? inquired Craven, with deep interest in his tone. Oh, no, there is no harm done, except to my riding skirt, which has been torn and muddied by the fall, said Cap, laughing and resuming her efforts to tighten the girth. "'Pray, permit me,' said Craven, gently taking the end of the strap from her hand. "'This is no work for a lady, and besides, it is beyond your strength.' Capitola, thanking him, withdrew to the side of the road, and, seating herself upon the trunk of a fallen tree, began to brush the dirt from her habit. Craven adjusted and secured the saddle with great care, patted and soothed the pony, and then, approaching Capitola, in the most deferential manner, stood before her and said— "'Miss Black, you will pardon me, I hope, if I tell you that the peril I had imagined you to be in has so agitated my mind as to make it impossible for me longer to withhold a declaration of my sentiments.' Here his voice, that had trembled throughout this disclosure, now really and utterly failed him. Capitola looked up with surprise and interest. She had never in her life before heard an explicit declaration of love from anybody.' She and Herbert somehow had always understood each other very well, without ever a word of technical love-making passing between them, so Capitola did not exactly know what was coming next. Craven recovered his voice, and, encouraged by the favorable manner in which she appeared to listen to him, actually threw himself at her feet, and, seizing one of her hands, with much ardor and earnestness, and much more eloquence than any one would have credited him with, poured forth the history of his passion and his hopes. "'Well, I declare,' said Cap, when he had finished his speech, and was waiting in breathless impatience for her answer. "'This is what is called a declaration of love and a proposal of marriage, is it? It is downright sentimental, I suppose, if I had only sense enough to appreciate it. It is as good as a play. Pity it is lost upon me.' "'Cruel girl, how you mock me!' cried Craven, rising from his knees and sitting beside her. "'No, I don't. I'm in solemn earnest.' I say it is first-rate. Do it again. I like it. Sarcastic and merciless one, you glory in the pain you give. But if you wish again to hear me say I love you, I will say it a dozen, yes, a hundred times over, if you will only admit that you could love me a little in return. Don't. That would be tiresome. Two or three times is quite enough. Besides, what earthly good could my saying I love you do? It might persuade you to become the wife of one who will adore you to the last hour of his life. Meaning you? Meaning me, the most devoted of your admirers. That isn't saying much, since I haven't got any but you. Thank fortune for it. Then I am to understand, charming Capitola, that at least your hand and your affections are free, cried Craven joyfully. Well, now, I don't know about that. Really, I can't positively say— but it strikes me, if I were to get married to anybody else, there's somebody would feel queerish. No doubt there are many whose secret hopes would be blasted, for so charming a girl could not have passed through this world without having won many hearts, who would keenly feel the loss of hope in her marriage. But what if they do, my enchanting Capitola? You are not responsible for any one having formed such hopes. Fudge, said Cap, I'm no belle, never was, never can be have neither wealth, beauty, nor coquetry enough to make me one. I have no lovers nor admirers to break their hearts about me, one way or another. But there is one honest fellow. Hem. Never mind. I feel as if I belonged to somebody else. That's all. 
I am very much obliged to you, Mr. Lenore, for your preference, and even for the beautiful way in which you have expressed it. But I belong to somebody else. Miss Black, said Craven, somewhat abashed, but not discouraged. I think I understand you. I presume that you refer to the young man who was your gallant champion in the forest chapel. The one that made your nose bleed, said the incorrigible Cap. Well, Miss Black, from your words, it appears that this is by no means an acknowledged but only an understood agreement, which cannot be binding upon either party. Now a young lady of your acknowledged good sense— I never had any more good sense than I have had admirers, interrupted Cap. Craven smiled. I would not hear your enemy say that, he replied. Then resuming his argument, he said, You will readily understand, Miss Black, that the vague engagement of which you speak— where there is want of fortune on both sides, is no more prudent than it is binding. On the contrary, the position which it is my pride to offer you is considered an enviable one, even apart from the devoted love that goes with it. You are aware that I am the sole heir of the Hidden House estate, which, with all its dependencies, is considered the largest property, as my wife would be the most important lady in the county. Cap's lip curled a little. Looking askance at him, she answered, I am really very much obliged to you, Mr. Lenore, for the distinguished honor that you designed for me. I should highly appreciate the magnanimity of the young gentleman, the heir of the wealthiest estate in the neighborhood, who deigns to propose marriage to the little beggar that I acknowledge myself to be. I regret to be obliged to refuse such dignities. But I belong to another, said Capitola, rising and advancing toward her horse. Craven would not risk his success by pushing his suit further at this sitting. Very respectfully lending his assistance to put Capitola into her saddle, he said he hoped at some further and more propitious time to resume the subject. And then, with a deep bow, he left her, mounted his horse, and rode on his way. He did not believe that Capitola was more than half in earnest, or that any girl in Capitola's circumstances would do such a mad thing as to refuse the position he offered her. He did not throw himself in her way often enough to excite her suspicion that their meetings were preconcerted on his part, and even when he did overtake her, or suffer her to overtake him, he avoided giving her offense by pressing his suit until another good opportunity should offer. This was not long in coming. One afternoon he overtook her, and rode by her side for a short distance, when finding her in unusually good spirits and temper, he again renewed his declaration of love and offer of marriage. Cap turned around in her saddle and looked at him with astonishment for a full minute before she exclaimed, "'Why, Mr. Lenore, I gave you an answer more than a week ago. Didn't I tell you no? What on earth do you mean by repeating the question?' "'I mean, bewitching Capitola, not to let such a treasure slip out of my grasp if I can help it.' "'I was never in your grasp that I know of,' said Cap, whipping up her horse and leaving him far behind." Days passed before Craven thought it prudent again to renew and press his suit. He did so upon a fine September morning, when he overtook her riding along the banks of the river. He joined her, and in the most deprecating manner besought her to listen to him once more. Then he commenced in a strain of the most impassioned eloquence, and urged his love and his proposal. Capitola stopped her horse, wheeled around and faced him, looking him full in the eyes while she said, "'Upon my word, Mr. Lenore, you remind me of an anecdote told of young Sheridan. When his father advised him to take a wife and settle, he replied by asking whose wife he should take. Will nobody serve your purpose but somebody else's sweetheart? I have told you that I belong to a brave young soldier who was fighting his country's battles in a foreign land, while you are lazing here at home, 
trying to undermine him. I am ashamed of you, sir, and ashamed of myself for talking with you so many times. Never do you presume to accost me on the highway or anywhere else again. Craven by name and craven by nature, you have once already felt the weight of Herbert's arm. Do not provoke its second descent upon you. You are warned. And with that, Capitola, with her lips curled, her eyes flashing, and her cheeks burning, put whip to her pony and galloped away. Craven Lenore's thin, white face grew perfectly livid with passion. I will have her yet. I have sworn it, and by fair means or by foul, I will have her yet, he exclaimed, as he relaxed his hold upon his bridle and let his horse go on slowly, while he sat with his brows gathered over his thin nose, his long chin buried in his neckcloth, and his nails between his teeth, gnawing like a wild beast, as was his custom when deeply cogitating. Presently he conceived a plan so diabolical that none but Satan himself could have inspired it. This was to take advantage of his acquaintance and casual meetings with Capitola, so to malign her character, as to make it unlikely that any honest man would risk his honor by taking her to wife, that thus the way might be left clear for himself, and he resolved, if possible, to effect this in such a manner, namely by jests, innuendos, and sneers, that it should never be directly traced to a positive assertion on his part, and in the meantime he determined to so govern himself in his deportment toward Capitola as to arouse no suspicion, give no offense, and, if possible, win back her confidence. It is true that even Craven Lenore, base as he was, shrank from the idea of smirching the reputation of the woman whom he wished to make a wife. But then he said to himself that in that remote neighborhood the scandal would be of little consequence to him, who, as soon as he married, would claim the estate of the hidden house and the right of his wife, put it in charge of an overseer, and then, with his bride, start for Paris, the paradise of the Epicurean, where he designed to fix their principal residence. Craven Lenore was so pleased with his plan that he immediately set about putting it in execution. Our next chapter will show how he succeeded. End of chapter 45